right. Hello. Welcome to another episode of the Walking Each Other Home podcast with Tony DeVoyle and Stephen Webb. Hello, friends. Yeah. This is our um, third episode. We did a two-part series on church hurt, and now we are going to talk about some really fun things. (laughs) Um, The first thing, we are going to break this into two parts as well because it could get very lengthy. We understand that. Um, And so... We are going to break this one up as well, but we are going to be talking about a life of pride versus a life of humility, what that means, um, where those two things even come from, what does it mean, pride uh, biblically, and, you know, uh, same thing with humility, what that means biblically. And, um, you know, just preparing for this podcast, there was just a lot of really good things um, relevant revelation, excuse me, in my own life about humility and about where pride can sneak in. And I really feel like God has just kind of prepared the way for us to talk about this in a very unique way. Uh, Probably something, you know, different than what you would experience uh, normally when people talk about pride, you know, a life of pride and uh, the dangers of pride, but, you know, kind of the roots of it. Mm-hmm. Like literally, I'm going to read something that talks about the root. Um, so, and with that, I am going to give it over to Tony uh, <laughs> because he sort of did a lot more heavy research. Just just how God works. When we were preparing for this, I showed him kind of what I was thinking, and he showed me what he he was thinking. And his notes were heavy pride. My notes were heavy humility. <laughs> well, figure I got the pride part. <laughs> <laughs> well, I needed a lot of humility. I don't know. Uh, so anyway, I'm just going to hand it over to him and let him start this conversation. Yeah, and um, thank you. I, I think that, you know, just like with any um, good message, um, you know, the messenger normally has to really struggle through that material and yeah. sort of um, digest it ourselves first. And you're right. It's been uh, quite a journey Um and it's been interesting, too, because it's like bits of information and sermons and things we're hearing from our pastor and from others, you know, in like online communities have kind of been in sync with this journey we've been on as we right. take a look at yes. a life driven by pride versus a life of humility. And I'd say that a lot of the things that I've learned... Um, some that we've known for a while, but a lot of it that I've learned fairly recently have, have come from hearing what other people have shared and, and, mm-hmm. and what they've studied and learned. And so I think of Romans ten seventeen when it says, Faith comes from hearing what is told, and what is heard comes by the preaching of the message concerning Christ. And I was just thinking about, you know, when you were sharing something with me earlier today, some some scripture that you read, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And the Word of God is so awesome, and it's living, breathing, and active through our mind and our, mm-hmm. our soul that it's one thing to read something 10 years ago. It's another thing to read it today and it be revealed to you. Right. So I think there there's been a lot of things through this um, study of the difference between pride and humility that have been um, revealed to us. And um, I know you had shared something earlier with me that I think is a great start to kick this off, if uh, maybe you want to share that. Yeah, for sure. So I am reading from meditations um, that were written down by Andrew Murray. 
Um, I think I mentioned him in the last episode mm-hmm. and <laughs> it's just, uh, it's just so good. I don't really feel like I need to go outside of this yeah. at the moment to find everything I need to find out about pride and humility. <laughs> um, but I was reading this earlier when he was talking about, you know, the things that he wanted to discuss in this episode. And I'm just like, dang, I'm going to read this to Tony. And he said, please read that. So uh, here we go. This is from chapter two in the humility book. And I'm hitting myself with the microphone. Um, No tree can grow except on the root from which it sprang. Through all its existence, it can only live with the life that was in the seed that gave it being. The full apprehension of this truth in its application to the first and the second Adam cannot but help us greatly to understand both the need and the nature of the redemption there is in Jesus. The need. When the old serpent He who had been cast out from heaven for his pride, whose whole nature as devil was pride, spoke his words of temptation into the ear of Eve. These words carried with them the very poison of hell. And when she listened and yielded her desire and her will to the prospect of being as God, knowing good and evil, the poison entered into her soul and blood and life destroying forever that blessed humility and dependence upon God, which would have been our everlasting happiness. Mm. And instead of this, her life and the life of that race that sprang from her became corrupted to its very root with that most terrible of all sins and all curses, the poison of Satan's own pride. All the wretchedness of which this world has been the scene, all its wars and bloodshed among the nations, all its selfishness and suffering, all its ambitions and jealousies, all its broken hearts and embittered lives, with all its daily unhappiness, have their origin in what this cursed, hellish pride, either our own or that of others, has brought us. It is pride that made redemption needful. It is from our pride we need above everything to be redeemed. And our insight into the need of redemption will largely depend upon our knowledge of the terrible nature of the power that has entered our being. The terrible nature of the power that has entered our being. And I think that's why, you know, for me, I come to this whole topic with a level of real humility and reverence. Because if we're honest, we've lived this. Just by virtue of human experience, we know what a life driven by self and carnal nature looks like versus a life led by the Holy Spirit and the the drastic difference that that there is in that. I love when you said, in in the seed that gave it being, and you mentioned uh, there's wars and bloodshed among the nations, and I can't help but... Um, you know, think of everything going on in Israel right now, which I'd shared with Stephen, and I think a lot of you would would be able to relate to just sort of the sadness um, that that I've experienced in in watching some of that and understanding, um, as you said, you know, taking a look at what is behind the true nature of what's going on. Right. Whether it's in the world, whether it's the battle within, around us. And we know, just like in, in 2 Corinthians uh, 10, it says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through the Spirit to the pulling down of the enemy's strongholds, right? Like You preach the, the text. The, <laughs> the, 
the the fight is not against uh, people or forces that we can see, but they're they're spiritual forces, and in many instances they're ancient spiritual forces that have been around since the fall. When a third of those angels fell with Satan, we're literally contending with those same ancient spirits. Right. today and so I know Stephen was was playing something that a, a guy was sharing earlier about uh, the meaning of Hamas you know meaning um, violent evil a violent evil spirit that is a spirit of hatred and how it's actually referenced in scripture mm-hmm. and how the same fight for uh, supremacy the whole uh, Isaac Ishmael split, with right. Sarah and Hagar and how Hagar hated Sarah and Sarah hated Hagar. And, you know, um, it started with, um, Hagar looking at Sarah with contempt. Mm-hmm. Right. And to me, that feels like that was the beginning. So Hagar brought this Hamas spirit into the home from, you know, she was from Egypt and brought this Hamas spirit into the home. The word Hamas is used in those, in, in those scriptures at some point. And then it, that contempt really makes me feel like Hagar wanted everything Sarah had. Right. You know, even though Sarah allowed her in the home to marry her husband as a second and to have a child, mm-hmm. that wasn't enough, right? right? And from that contempt and that that's not enough, I want more, right. I'm going to look at you with contempt. And Sarah's like, she's got to go. Right. That has trickled down through centuries right. as a land grab. This it, is my it's land. It's still going on today. Yeah. I want this land. I want, this is I'm my heritage. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Keep going. Sorry. No, that's good. <laughs> I mean, you, you, yeah. you summarize that uh, very well. And, you know, spiritual wickedness in high places that we still contend with, it's important for us to know our enemies, Right. There's an old saying, you know, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Mm-hmm. You can't really defeat an enemy that you don't know. Right. And so while we went, we mentioned, you know, the spirit of Hamas, of hatred and violence that, you know, has filmed the, the murder of innocent children and women and, and spread it all over social media to hopefully instill uh, hatred and fear in the hearts of, of people that view it. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about, as we go back to... Uh, pride, um, you know, in, in our culture in the West, pride is sort of this movement, right? And so I want to talk about um, some of the uh, ancient um, influences that I believe have influenced Western culture. A lot of what we're going to talk about was shared in depth by a pastor in Texas in Fort Worth, Landon Shot, who I met years ago in Orlando um, after the Pulse nightclub shooting. And I mean, he, if there's anybody that ever taught a, a very clear uh, message about the origins of um, pride in America, he really hit it out of the park, I think. But, you know, the regular definition of pride is becoming a becoming or dignified sense of what is due to oneself or one's position or character, self respect or self esteem. Mm-hmm. So when I hear that, I automatically think of all of the self help self-care, be your true self type talk, me be church. the best you can, the me church, which I forgot to send you. <laughs> no, the you said oh, it. I send you yeah, the I finally watched it. It was Good. ridiculous. <laughs> In a theological sense, pride is defined as 
an excessive love of one's own excellence. Woo! An excessive love of one's own excellence. And as a deadly sin, pride is believed to generate other sins and further immoral behavior and is countered by the heavenly virtue of humility. Mm. So the answer to ravenous pride is humility in Christ. And he set the tone for that, and Steve's going to talk more about that a little bit later. But Lord, ex- help us. excessive love of one's own excellence. And I think that, you know, he made reference to what he read earlier um, to the fall of Satan, uh, which we can read about in a couple of different places. But um, Isaiah 14, 12, if we were to take a look at that, it kind of talks, gives reference to, um, you know, what that looked like. Uh, let me pull that up here. Isaiah fourteen twelve says, um, let's see, here it is. How have you fallen from heaven, star of the morning, light bringer, son of the dawn? Okay, Lucifer was not just some regular angel. He was the leader of worship. He was a chief uh, angel in heaven. You have been cut down to the ground. You have weakened the nations, king of Babylon. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the remote parts of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Hmm. But in fact, you will be brought down to hell, to the remote recesses of the pit. So as we kind of go through these things, I think that what you'll find is for everything God created good for us, Satan has offered a counterfeit. That's right. And so I want to go back to the first and most powerful place to me where we see this. And that was that was the uh, creation of the Baal, the, the idol Baal in Exodus 32:15. And what I want to point out uh, here is, you know, uh, right before Exodus 32 in chapter 31, uh, Moses had just been given the Ten Commandments. And one of the things that's interesting is, you know, as God is telling Moses to that the people should have no other gods before him, they're literally like on the at the bottom of the mountain creating another god. Right. As he's given the last commandment of of honoring the Sabbath and 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 honoring that day of rest and communion and connection with God, the people are at the bottom of the hill creating another God because right. uh, Moses is taking too long. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of where, it, just to give you some backstory there. Um, it just says, a thought on that. I've never thought about this before. and no one, I've never heard anybody talk about it. You know, they're, they're wandering the wilderness and grumbling, mm-hmm. right? They want to go back to Egypt. Do you, do you think that there was a demonic spirit and devil influence throughout all of those years that kept them grumbling and discontent. Oh, absolutely. And then when he, the devil, he's not omniscient or omnipotent, but he can see what's going on in the moment, knows Moses is about to go speak with God most high. And that's when he strikes the biggest blow Mm -hmm. to place, uh, you know, separation between them. For sure, and you, I'm glad you asked that because it reminds me that 
you know, the they'd come out of Egypt, but Egypt had not come out of them. Okay. Right? Okay. And they're the this right. this idol that they're getting ready to create was actually a symbol of an Egyptian god, Ptah. And um, unlike most Egyptian... So this was known as a Egyptian creator god. Oh. So once again, back to the counterfeit piece. Ptah himself is uncreated, having existed before anyone or anything. So I've so, never heard of this. <laughs> so, so, so Ptah claimed to be like God and that he was not only the creator of all things, but had not been created himself. He willed the world into existence with the power of his own mind, like a great conjurer of celestial proportions. So it's kind of like in the word was God. And, you know, the word, uh, when God spoke, he, he, his, everything he spoke was his idea and he created it by the things that he spoke. So again, Ptah is similar to Jehovah. I've never heard this before. Yeah, it's the the Egyptian counterfeit. Do you think he used that word like pata? Pata. And there it was. <laughs> Who knows? Like Shazam. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Patao, pating. <laughs> but in in Exodus 32, it where we read about the the golden calf. It says, "Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, they gathered together before Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has come of, become of him. So Aaron replied to them, Take off the gold rings that are in your ears of your wives, your sons and daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he took the gold from their hands and fashioned it with an engraving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw the molten calf, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So they got up early the next day and offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. Then the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to play shamefully without moral restraint. They took their clothes off, got drunk, and acted a fool, basically. Okay. Uh, yeah. I've heard this story so many times. <laughs> what yeah. possessed Aaron to... Pata. But it's just, (laughs) my thing is, so it's not clear, and maybe there's scholars that have done a lot of research or whatever. It's not clear. How long was Moses up there? Because they grew so impatient. Mm -hmm. To me, it feels like that should have taken months, maybe, to get to. But it doesn't tell us how, I would love Mm -hmm. to know how long. You know how long, put it in the comments if you've done this research. But like, because they they grew impatient with, with, you know, Moses meeting with God. I just want to know how long that that took. I don't think it says maybe it will here at the bottom, but one of the things that that really stood out to me in this here, and we'll finish reading it at the bottom, but it says uh, the people took off all the gold that they were wearing. Yeah. Think about how it always costs you to follow the enemy. Mm. There's always a cost, Mm -hmm. right? There's no gift of free will. There's no grace. There's no... Uh, gift of salvation. There's no. There's no gifts. It's always you bringing that deity something. Yeah, right? that's interesting. And and so and really, this idol was built from their wealth. 
the jewelry, the gold was was signifying uh, their wealth. So they, they took that and created this idol. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down at once, for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. So it did happen quick, like you said. They made themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are a stiff-necked, stubborn, rebellious people. Now, therefore, let me alone and do not interfere so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them, and I will make of you, your descendants, a great nation. But then here, you know, so God's mad. He's ready to destroy them. And Moses appeased and entreated the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your anger burn against your people you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? So he's kind of saying like, are you sure you want to do this? Like, you know, look what look what you did so much to save them. Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent, their God brought them out to kill them in the mountains and destroy them from the face of the earth? So Moses is having this conversation with God saying, hey, your reputation could be on the line, right? And it, again, this is before Jesus. This right. is kind of how things went. Right. Um, he tells him, turn away from your burning anger and change your mind about harming your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your servants to whom you swore an oath by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land of which I have spoken, I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Isn't it wonderful when God changes his mind? Absolutely. About me, about you, about about us. Right. Um, and sometimes it takes somebody pleading on our behalf. Absolutely. Oof. Yeah. Thank you, intercessors. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, we see um, that... Um, this is in, about Baal, right? Yeah. In, in King, in Exodus, and in Kings, uh, with the story with Elijah and uh, Jezebel and the prophets of Baal, we see mm. issues with Baal all throughout Scripture. And then um, we're gonna, as we uh, talk about Baal, we're also gonna talk about Ishtar a little bit. And um, when we read in Jonah how. Um, God was going to judge Nineveh, but wanted to send Jonah to warn them. Well, the God that the people of Nineveh were worshiping at the time were, was Ishtar. Yeah. So I want to talk about what Pastor Landon calls the um, dark or unholy trinity that has impacted the entire world, but in particular, Western civilization. And those... Uh, demonic principalities of Baal, Ishtar, and Moloch um, are evil manifestations, imitations of the Godhead. Right. God the Father, the Holy, the, Jesus the Christ, and the Holy Spirit. That goes back to what you said earlier when he always creates a counterfeit yeah. of what God has created. You know, it goes from everything. It's like love. The counterfeit is, is hate, yes. right? Yes. You've got giving and benevolence, which is very much godlike, and then you have greed, right? You have humility, which is everything God calls us to, and everything God is. Where Jesus came, and He was the most humble being, right? And the verses of that is pride. 
Right, and just like you mentioned with the counterfeits, I think we find, um, and we've certainly found in our lives, that with the counterfeit, it's never enough. Right. It's never enough. You're more of a slave to whatever it is than you are um, free. Right. And real freedom is found in following Christ. Mm -hmm. And really, um, um, it's never found in, in... these counterfeit gods, but Baal uh, was the chief false god of the Phoenicians and Semites. Uh, he was the pagan god of sexuality and spirit, spiritual war. All right, and the the meaning of male of Baal is uh, to marry or the owner, ruler, master, or husband or lord of a person. Uh, as it mentioned in um, Exodus, um, there. A lot of the worship back then was presented in um, people taking their clothes off, getting drunk, cutting themselves, having impure sex with one another, um, male-on-male, female-on-female, all kinds of things. And so, again, you know, as as Moses is on the mountain, God is having this conversation with him, um, saying to have no other gods before him. He was telling Moses about how to rest, and you know these people are um, are you know um, making a mess of things, right? Um, worshiping this new idol. Uh, Ahab took Jezebel as his wife. So oftentimes, when we see leaders endorse Baal worship, uh, the people that they lead slip a, tend to slip away faster, and sl- sin in a nation tends to grow. Uh, Ahab tore down the holy temple and actually built a temple to Baal hmm. <laughs> at at Jezebel's recommendation and leading. And like um, ba- Baal Church looked something like a strip club, a brothel, and a Planned Parenthood all thrown together. Ugh. And so the way this kind of worked was when we when we talk about um, Ishtar. Ishtar uh, is a witch. Uh, sex is a part of her witchcraft. Um, she bends sexual lines and she wars against sexual purity. Uh, the spirit of Ishtar is a gender bender, um, referred to as female and male in various places in scripture and historical texts. She had the power to literally transform the genders. Okay. Uh, eunuchs would do parades in the street. Uh, there's somewhere in Iran and Iraq where there's still a a gate that is was resurrected by one of the, I think the Persian kings in honor of Ishtar, where they would have parades through this gate. Um, is that like a portal? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. But one of the icons of Ishtar was the rainbow. Oh my goodness! Which is kind of are you are you picking up what's being put down right out there? Um, there was a dance of Ishtar that was a pro- a processional route in which uh, the followers of Ishtar would worship her through a parade. The men would wear heavy makeup and eyeliner uh, to celebrate public sexual worship in the month of June. I mean, come on now. And Saint Jerome come on, I confirms saying, right. this. Yeah. Right. Can you believe this? Hmm. I mean, when he first taught this, I was like, you have got to be kidding me. It's the same old junk. Different. It's the same spirit. That's right. 
It's the same old junk. Nothing new under the sun. Um, uh, during that month, it was understood that the spirit of Ishtar would take possession of the culture. So, you know, you've got basically Baal, which is anything that um, we lift up in place of God. It could be my success, my wealth, my career. That's why my... there's a bull on Wall Street. Exactly. Yeah, mm. exactly. Even in even in our Western culture, if we notice, there's there's symbols. A lot of um, witchcraft involves the worship of Baal uh, as well. So so again, um, and and Ishtar. That's why they like to like play with this in the entertainment industry as well. Mm-hmm. You know, something I think it was in London or. In the last two years, they had this some ceremony. I don't know if it was a sporting event, some kind of ceremony they had, and they made this massive bull, mm-hmm. and they surrounded the bull and were literally bowing and worshiping the bull in this musical number, in this musical moment, and this woman is riding the bull, and the bull's eyes were red, and I was, and everyone's like, oh, um, yeah, I remember that. Everything okay, yeah, okay here? I remember that. I was like, this is really blatant. Right. Right. Yeah, and even <laughs> even statues of Satan that have appeared in different cities in the United States are it's usually depicted as Baal. And the thing mm. about satanic Satan or satanic worship, you know, Satan doesn't care necessarily if you worship him. His goal is just just that you don't worship God. Keep your eyes so, off the prize. Is yeah. What so he's so Baal after. is yeah. basically anything that I may come up with that I have put in place of God. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then Baal's wife is Ishtar, who is a witch who basically uh, casts her spells through sexual perversion. And her end goal is to, um, is to pervert uh, God's original plan for creation, for sexuality. And so we have that. Now, Moloch, um, and again, uh, Baal is considered you know, kind of like the Godhead image, Ishtar, sort of like uh, the the dark version of the Holy Spirit, and Moloch, the dark version of the Christ, because as Christ came to give eternal life and to, to give us salvation for eternity, the spirit of Moloch comes to take life. Moloch is, mm. the, is the demonic spirit of child sacrifice, uh, the, this God is referred to eight times in the Old Testament, one time in the New, uh, in which um, burning babies uh, born from Baal and Ishtar worship is basically like a modern day, like an old school abortion. Like women that would get pregnant from the things they would do worshiping Baal and Ishtar would just take their unwanted baby and offer the sacrifice, offer the baby as a sacrifice to Moloch. Man, and not to get too political here, but when we when we think about the seventy over seventy million babies that have been killed in our country at the hands of abortion, and abortion just sort of being talked about as a contraceptive or or something that you can just do if you don't want to deal with the consequences of the decisions you made, you know, nights before, or months before. When we look at that and and can draw some parallels there. Um, I know um, there's a word, Greek word brepha that is referenced in Scripture when when God talks about children, and um, brepha was was 
uh, God was the word that God used to refer to children in the womb and outside of the womb. So in God's view, um, there's no difference. There's no difference. And you know, when we read in Matthew 18 that it's better for a millstone to be tied around someone's neck and cast into the sea than to lead one of my little ones astray. You know, God does not take it lightly. That's right. When we when we not only lead young people astray, but when we murder his seed at the hands of our own pride and selfishness. Right. And so we, we can kind of see here where these three uh, entities, um, demonic principalities, sort of work in tandem and have worked in tandem. Um, I know Jeremiah 7.31 is where um, Moloch is mentioned. And oftentimes, like... When we in in the Old Testament scriptures, when King Herod would order that all of the baby boys aged two years and under would be murdered, you know, it's it's spirit of Moloch behind uh, the murder of of Israeli in particular uh, children uh, since the dawn of time. And so, again, just gaining some understanding of kind of um, um, <laughs> the forces that we're contending with. Yeah, all of that is like born from the original sin of pride that Satan, you know, enticed Eve to drink the poison of his pride. Yes. Right? And from that, we have contended with all of these things since the dawn of time, right? And that's just really sobering to me that in order for... Satan and the enemy to infiltrate as many people as he can. He started way back with mm-hmm. Eve, right? And then started with Baal, with the Israelites, and then Ishtar, and then Molech. Mm-hmm. You know, all of these different entities and probably demonic spirits that exist now that are still going in order to fulfill you know, his destiny, what he has been trying to do. That's just crazy to me. <laughs> right. And they, and they think they're winning. And in many cases, it looks like they're winning. But, you know, we know the, yeah. the real truth of it. We know the end game and we know the hope that we have in Christ. So all the things that we see, whether it be in our nation, whether it be in Israel, whether it be in your own soul, we can take comfort knowing that Christ has overcome it all and um, has given us peace. Um. In 1 John um, 2, um, it says here, um, 2.16, it says, Do not love the world of sin that opposes God and his precepts, nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Right? Hmm. And I go back to that overcoming evil with good. Right? It's If we don't have the love of, of the Father in us, it's right. so easy to just to just follow this current right. and, and course of the world. For all that is in the world, the lust and sensual craving of the flesh and the lust and longing of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, pretentious confidence in one's resources or in the stability of earthly things. Man. These do not come from the Father, but are from the world. The world is passing away, and with it its lust, the shameful pursuits and ungodly longings, but the one who does the will of God and carries out his purposes will live forever. Hmm. I love that. 
Yeah, that's also sobering. Just pursuing things that make us happy. <laughs> pursuing things that make us feel good in the moment. Mm-hmm. Pursuing things um, at the expense of denying what God has given us, provided for us, and calls us to do, right? And also at the expense of others, trampling on people right? Um, in order to live my best life and in order to live my truth, in order mm-hmm. to like be the best version of me that I can be. All of this has infiltrated the church, actually, in the last you know, a couple of decades, especially the last 10 years, right. all of this self-help and the me church thing. And that's just what all of that is bringing to mind. Um, and it's, it's veiled in godliness, right? You know, the form of godliness. Yeah. You know, it wants to seem as if it's godly to work on yourself, to have self care so that you can help others. Mm-hmm. But, that's such a dangerous path as well if you're not careful um, because that can all be rooted in pride, which is what we're talking about, right? That's all rooted in, you know, taking pride in my excellence, mm-hmm. taking pride in look how much I've taken care of myself and my body and my mind. And, right. you know, um, I, I have a growth mindset, mm-hmm. right? All of that can get real sick and like slippery slope slippery right so i'm not saying they're all bad right working on yourself is a very good thing right. especially if you have a lot of pain and you know that you deal with some of these issues the working on the one on oneself i think should be more in line with how can i be more like jesus yeah he's got a lead in it right how can i be more like god mm-hmm. what is he calling me to set aside what is he calling me to heal so that I can help others. Right. And just doing it from a framework of, of in a biblical context of how you should work on yourself. Right. Yeah. I like to say, you know, happiness is based on what's happening, but happiness is not a fruit of the spirit. (laughs) Right. Well, yeah. uh, Joy. Yeah. Love, joy, peace, self-control, you know, the joy of the Lord is our strength, not right. Joy is different than happiness. Joy is def- <laughs> joy is on a different spectrum than happiness as we understand it. For sure. Joy comes from within. It's kind of like an everlasting feeling that even in the midst of my terrible circumstances, I have joy of the Lord in me. I have joy for and hope for what's to come. You can rest and trust. Right? Yeah. Which is so different from our, you know, emotional buzzword of happiness. Right. So good. I want to end this little chat about pride with a question that Elijah asked in 1 Kings 18. How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if it's Baal, follow him. It says, but the people of Israel did not answer him so much as a word. Then Elijah (laughs) said to the people. That means they were stumped. They were like, oh, I'm giving all this up. (laughs) <laughs> then Elijah said to the people, I alone remain a prophet of the Lord, while Baal's prophets are 450 men. So, you know, you see here, even in Old Testament days, we see Elijah standing for truth against the tide, against what was popular and easy. And um, I think that when we look at, at 
our culture and how hard it is um, to really um, follow the voice of the Holy Spirit sometimes when when all these other voices contend for your attention, you know, in our culture, in our in our personhood, um, it can it can seem to be really difficult. But really, the the answer to a pride problem is humbling ourselves before God, right? Turning from our wicked ways and seeking His face, right? That he would hear from us. It's, the answer to it is a, is a life of humility, um, right? And with that, I know you're going to share some great uh, nuggets with us on um, what that what that looks like through a couple of our champions like Paul the Apostle yeah. and some others, so looking forward to that. I know that we kind of... I want to go back real quick. Um, I know we kind of touched on it through like insinuating some things about Ishtar worship mm-hmm. and say, you know, as we... We will be talking in part two more about humility. I will kind of like foreshadow that a little bit, but also say it's because I believe mm-hmm. it's because of the churches, churches like grand, you know, spectrum of the church, big church, all together, you know, it's because of their lack of humility in seeking God for the answer to people who are same-sex attracted, Right. that we now have this monstrous pride movement yeah. as the answer to the church's pride mm-hmm. in how they handled this issue for the last six decades right, or more, maybe. And I just felt like that needed to be said. You know, we insinuated some things about like, you know, that's why we have Pride Month. And I don't want the religious people who may be listening to us to be like, see, those gays are worshiping demons, or you know, they're right. they're they're good point. They're influenced by demonic oppression, and that's why we have this monster's pride movement. It's also because of the church's answer to it over the last six decades and that's how right. terribly wrong they got it in many senses. Um because they refused to humble themselves, it was more of a conform or else stop doing that or and you and you can be invited into our community mm-hmm. if you stop doing that right and because they didn't seek the lord's face and really get to know people and understand and really just love people right. where they were like Jesus would and yes invite them to change after the love was shown mm-hmm. you know i think if if that approach had been taken um would this still be the way it is today? I don't know, but I just have a sense that that's why we have not just now, not just starting with a Pride weekend mm-hmm. 20 years ago, but a Pride month. And now it's literally every corner of our society mm-hmm. every day. You mm-hmm. can't escape it. It's permeated our culture completely. I heard a statistic the other day that one in five millennials now consider themselves to be LGBTQ. Wow. And so, yeah, it's, um, I, I appreciate you saying that because it's certainly, we're not calling any people group, you know, demonic possessed or anything like that. And, and, right. and, and I know, um, like Jackie Hill Perry had mentioned, um, in one of their podcasts recently, uh, the word that only you can say, 
that references homosexuality. Oh, uh, you remember it? No. Now I can't do okay. it. <laughs> so yeah, so so our sekonoitis or yeah, <laughs> the Greek word for you know that we've tr- fairly recently translated uh, to mean homosexuality um, is not really what that word meant in in Old Testament scripture. They said it's, homosexual. Right. The homosexual will not inherit the kingdom of God is what they translated it to back in 1948 in the new versions of the Bible when they did that translation. And that was the ch- word they chose to use because that was a new uh, word uh, used in the medical right. community or right. psychological mu- community, yep. you know. And so they used that. And I think that was also a disservice because that word does not mean the homosexual as we would know it today, mm-hmm. if you take that word, it, that word itself just means someone who is attracted to the same sex, same gender, right? right? And if you slip that into that passage in Scripture, you will literally just knock out everybody who's ever had a thought about the same sex, right? right, right. That word really was a verb. Yeah. It was an action, as in someone who is consistently pursuing sex with someone of the same sex. Right. It wasn't someone who may think about it or struggle with be it. tempted right. by it or have a proclivity towards it. Right. That's not what it meant. So that would did a disservice, I think, putting that word in the translations. Oh, for sure, because I think it taught generations of people that if you even have the temptation, then you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And and like you said, that's not what it meant. And so even because if um, temptation meant you can't inherit the kingdom We're of all God, toast. Jesus wouldn't be up there. That's right. He was tempted in every way, he that's said. Right. Yeah, that's right. Very true, very good point. And uh, so so we, we not only have some confusion over word meaning, but we have um, instances in our culture over a long period of time where we've highlighted one thing over others to, to, be, to be worse than... Yeah, and we've heard that in my personal testimony that I've shared so far with how I was treated a little bit differently and a little more strongly Mm -hmm. just with pornography watching. But because I was under the, he's a same-sex attracted Christian. worse, right. Right. (laughs) There's a lot more rules involved with me. Right. Right. Anyway, I just thought we should kind of like tie that back in. Yeah, no. Just, just I, I just believe that we've done a disservice to people who experience this in their lives, who are genuinely seeking healthy community, who are genuinely seeking Jesus, and who have been pushed in the other direction yeah. so hard by the church, um, pushed into the arms of a community that will embrace them, even if it's ugly. Right. They still would love to be embraced. Absolutely. And, and back to how, you know, I kind of opened this mentioning that, you know, it's um, sobering uh, for me because, you know, we, I've contended with, a, with the stuff in my own life too. So really none of us are exempt <laughs> right. from, from walking this, this out and contending with the tendency towards pride uh, and, and, really reaching and pushing to become more like Christ, pressing more into him, to be humble in the ways that he is and, and meek in the ways that he is. And so, um, you know, it's it's a daily uh, walk. Mm-hmm. And 
thankful that you know um, we get to do that in in community because it certainly helps to have that. Yes, absolutely. Well, I think that would be a good segue to talk about you know the life of humility mm-hmm. versus what we just discussed and how the origins. I'm just like blown away by just how the enemy has worked since the beginning of time and that his original sin as you know Andrew Murray was pointing out was pride mm-hmm. and that poison entered into the human race and that has caused all the calamity ever since and uh but I would love to talk about humility um because that's a beautiful thing. <laughs> yes. That seems like, you know, lots of doom and like demonic things positive. and like, <laughs> you know, I mean, it is positive, but it's, humility is also difficult. Yes. Uh, but it is as the sign in our church says, humility is the key to everything. everything. So stay tuned uh, for part two of this. Uh, we will be back and talking about humility and uh, we hope you are there. And if you are, please like comment uh give us some questions mm-hmm. give us your feedback um we love you guys and uh we're just going to pray real quick would you mind praying the, us out of this one sure awesome heavenly father thank you so much um that you've set the example for us um that we learn how to love because you've loved us so well first we learn um truth and grace um and we're able to extend that to others Uh, because you've modeled it so well for us. And so, Father, for those who tuned in that um, may be a bit shocked at some of the things that we shared, I thank you, Father, that your grace is sufficient. I thank you that your mercies are new every morning because Mm -hmm. we need them. Yes. And so, Lord, I thank you for every ear that um, has listened. Father, that... um, the words that we spoke, I pray, were seasoned with with truth, but also grace, and um, ultimately knowing how much you love us, mm. and how um, it's your love that leads us to true repentance. I thank you for how you don't give up on us, but you're patient, you're kind, and um, Father, your love covers a multitude of sins, and um, thank you for Jesus yes. that set uh, the path that was tempted in every way, as Stephen said, yet did not sin, that went to That's the cross right. for us and paid the price for yesterday's sin, today's, and tomorrow's. We thank you uh, that we're already seated in heavenly places with him and just working it out while we're here in this body. Thank you for community, um, and thank you for just your um, how you father us so well and love us so well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today on the Walking Each Other Home podcast. Again, I'm Stephen Webb, and this is Tony DeVoyle, and we will see you again soon. Thank you.